I will be reading from Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. And uh, he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain, while filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house um, have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But uh, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, I have sinned against thee, sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. As he came and he drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what, things, what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. Thy father hath killed thee fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And uh, he answered, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost and is found. In this story, you will find um, there are three individuals that are in the story. You have a father, the youngest of the brothers, and then an older brother, his two boys. And typically, we focus on the redemptive story of the prodigal son. But this morning, I would like to talk to you about the father. I would like to talk to you about the father. And so, Title this message, Lessons from the Prodigal, Part 1. This will be a series that we'll continue over the next week or so. Uh, but Lessons from the Prodigal, Part 1. And here we've heard so many times it's the story of the prodigal, but I, I want to focus on the father this morning. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of information on the father, but what we can deduct is that he was a hard worker. He obviously had an estate. He had lots of property. Uh, he had a lot of servants, cooks, maids those that tended to the uh, agriculture. So he was, a, he was a hard worker. He was a good steward of his finances. It's clear that he was able to save up some things, and when his son was ready to depart and ask for the inheritance, he was able to give him something. He didn't squander it, didn't live a very lavish life. He was a good steward of what he had, what was trusted to him. He was a, the leader. He obviously directed a whole team. 
We can read that in the story when he talked about being able to go and, and uh, get the fatted calf, go ahead and get my ring, get my shoes, get, get my coat, let's put it all together, let's get dinner together. So he was orchestrating a lot, he was leading, he was directing, so we know he was a great leader. He was hopeful that his son would come back like every father should be. Anytime that you are in a position as a, as a parent, you're always hopeful that your child will make the right decisions. And that anytime they go astray or if there's any strife or any that you are there and you're always hopeful that they're making the best decisions, you want the best for them. And he was forgiving. We could tell he welcomed his son with open arms and he forgave him. So there are a lot of characteristics that you can look at when you look at the perspective of the father in the story. He was a hard worker. He's a great man. But when you look at this story, the son had asked for his inheritance early. An inheritance is obviously something that you would pass on when you pass away to the closest kin. It is something that you have saved for and that it will be passed on and to bless the next generation. And so uh, the inheritance was something that was to be meant for the end of the life of the person that is passing that down. It was never meant to be something that you would do in the middle of your um, lifetime. And so when you look at that, I, I could tell you I have an insurance plan. I have an insurance policy. So God forbid if something happens to me anytime soon, um, we have a, a, uh, a nice little home that God has blessed us with. And so uh, if I was to pass away, my house would be paid off. I have a couple of vehicles. Those would be paid off. Um, I have some hunting gear. I have some guns. I do collect some sports memorabilia. So I have some things of value, not much, but I do have some things. And so the next clown that decides to marry my wife gets a full paid house and gets all these great things, and that's all well and dandy. But I'm here to tell you this morning that I am not ready to give up anything anytime soon. So sorry, boys. You're going to have to wait a little bit longer, and Bridget, you're going to have to just settle down because I am not ready to hand my inheritance off anytime soon. And so when you look at this, it's clear that the son did not want to live at home any longer. He was done. He had asked for his inheritance early. Matter of fact, I can remember when I was, I had to have been maybe 11 or 12, and I got really mad. I don't remember if it was at my dad or if it was from at my, I don't know who. I just remember being really ticked. And I remember when I was a kid, I said, you know what? I'm going to run away. I'm leaving. I'm going to take my best Legos. I'm going to take my coolest toys, my favorite sweatshirt, and I'm out of here. Well, come the night, it's like, well, I ain't got nowhere to go. I'm probably just going to stay at home. That was a bad idea. I didn't want to ask for inheritance. I didn't want any negative or any ill feelings. I just was upset and figured I'd just, I'm doing all my I remember, Actually, I remember when I went to college, um, the, the first week was traumatic for me. You know, I grew up in a home where my mom literally ironed my clothes till I left. Like, my mom washed my clothes. My dad worked hard for me. I had a lot of things that most people would find foreign. And so when I was in school, it was weird. Q-tips didn't just randomly pop up anymore. Like, when I ran out, I had no more Q-tips. I had to do laundry. I didn't know how to do laundry. So guess what I did? I went and purchased more clothes. And then I was broke. I had to learn how to do laundry. So there were things I never wanted my, any ill on my parents when I was frustrated with them. But imagine the father at this point hearing his son ask for his inheritance early, knowing that he was severing a relationship. He no longer wanted that relationship with his dad, and he was cutting ties with him and asking something that did not belong to him just yet. All too often, we ask for things that we're not ready for yet, that aren't supposed to be ours yet yet. 
But I could imagine that dad began to question some things, had some self-doubt. See, self-doubt is the seed that births insecurity. And often that is triggered through a negative experience. And so when you look at what scripture tells us, we know that the son was gone for a few years. We don't know how long it really was. But we know that his dad had to have sat there like any parent and begin to question some things. Started asking some questions, looking into the past. How did this happen? Where did I go wrong? Was I too hard when I disciplined him? Did I take the PlayStation away for too long? Was he so mad because he didn't get his license because I didn't trust him early enough? Was it because maybe I was at work and I worked too many hours? I didn't invest enough time in him. And listen, parents, too often we try to live vicariously through our children because growing up we had gone without some things. We try to give our kids, and now listen, I have done the best I can to try to give my sons opportunity, uh, things I never was able to enjoy or maybe have. Um, so I've tried to pave the way and give my children a better life, and I had a great childhood. But listen, be careful not to try to hand a dream of yours or which you thought they want because you missed out on something. Because I've seen it all too often where a child says, Dad, I never asked that. Mom, I never cared for that. I just wanted you to go to a game with me. Invest in the right things in your family. Just because you can provide a great home and those are all good things, invest in your children the right way. Are we praying with our kids? Are we raising them right? Are we reading with them? Are we spending time on the basketball court? Are we taking them? Are we investing in the right things? And I could imagine this dad frustrated that his boy is gone and he is trying to figure out where he went wrong. What did I do wrong? In that day, there was no GPS, no tracker. Can't fire off an email. You're not looking at a Snapchat. Can't check out the timeline on Facebook. No creeping on his Insta stories. Can't do it. He's gone. You're trying to figure it out. Where is he? And you begin to create these scenarios in your mind and maybe play back situations to maybe I should have did this a little different. Maybe I, I could have done this. And we go through those things in life playing on something that was not your decision to begin with. It was the prodigal son decision to leave home, to ask for inheritance. It wasn't his dad. See, self-doubt will weaken your self-will. See, there are dangers to self-doubt. It will attack your productivity. It will attack your spiritual and mental well-being. So when you look at your well-being, see, God gave us a will. That is something that was hardwired into us. It is a gift, right? The Lord, he has angels that can run to and fro and they cry holy. That's their job. God was looking for a people to love him for who he is, to seek after him, chase after him, talk to him. Just like he would in the days of, uh, of Eden when he would walk with Adam in the garden. And, he, and, and the Bible talks about he would walk in the cool of the night. Just like you would take your spouse on a walk or your kids and you're just being with each other. He would fellowship with Adam in the cool of the night, looking for fellowship. And so here we have given a, a, a will and yet self-doubt will weaken that will because we begin to question every motive. You begin to question the past, the chaos that has come from your past, from decisions that you've never, uh, that you never initiated, that you didn't ask for, things that just fell on your lap. And so there are three dangers of self-doubt. There are three dangers. The first one is don't, uh, that, that self-doubt can deny the opportunity for God to perform a miracle. It can deny the opportunity for God 
to perform a miracle. Not every terrible decision is a result of a terrible decision. There are some things that happen, these situations that happen. You didn't ask for them, they happened. But I'm here to tell you, because of these situations, we find ourselves in such a place to where we begin to doubt every decision we've made. And so you can look to the story of Joseph. Here is Joseph who had a couple of dreams. And as a result of those dreams, he ends up in prisons. Well, he ends up in slavery. And then from there on a false trumped-up rape charge, he lands in prison. But I'm here to tell you because Joseph served God with integrity. When all else seemed to be falling apart, because Joseph served God with integrity, there was a pandemic that arose. Mind you, he became the VP of Egypt. He was the second guy in command. He came from in slavery to imprisonment, and now he's leading people. And in this pandemic, there was no food throughout the nation. No food. But because he served God with integrity, he is now leading the charge and the plan for the rest of the world to come to Egypt to have food. I want you to know something, that the pandemic that we are in now has been a pandemic that we have been fighting for a long time. Make no mistake that the situation we find ourselves in today are not unique to just today. I want you to know that we have been in a pandemic when it comes to social justice. We have already been in a pandemic when it comes to your health. We've already been in a pandemic when it comes to aborted babies. We have already been in a pandemic when it comes to the, to the destruction of marriages. That pandemic is the virus of sin. Sin has crept up and has already begun to attack the family. It has already begun to attack your finances. It already attacked your marriages, your relationships, children. We have already been in a pandemic. But I wonder if there was a Joseph in the room that understood. Listen, Joseph served God with integrity. Every one of us have a circle of influence. You have created a world around you. And I wonder if there were a people of God that would say, hey, in the pandemic that we are in, I'm going to serve God with integrity. So that way, when God was made known in all of Egypt, when God was made known, when the people understood the God of Joseph, do, does anybody in your circle of influence understand the God that you serve because you serve with integrity in your walk right now. Your circle of influence. Do they know who God is in this pandemic that we're in? Don't deny God the opportunity for a miracle because you doubt your position because of your past or the chaos that seems to surround you. So the first danger is do not deny God the opportunity of a miracle. Be a Joseph. Let's be a light in this world that's looking for someone to rise and show hope and encouragement and that there is a God that is willing to walk them through it. The second danger is it slows down your progress and your focus becomes, I should have, maybe I could have, I would have. Begin to ask all these questions just like the prodigal's father. Is this my fault? Is this, how did, how did this get here? What happened? And watch this in Philippians chapter three, verse 14. I press toward the mark for the high, for the, of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Press in Greek means, it's, it's dioko, and that's to pursue, to ensue, to follow after, and to suffer forward. Is there something in your life that is worth suffering forward for? Do you have a dream that's worth fighting for? I think the words of Paul paints an amazing picture. When Paul says, I press toward the mark, that is just not a casual walk. Listen, there is nowhere in Scripture that you can find life would be easy. 
He did promise you an abundant life. He did promise protection. He did promise provision. But never one time did he tell you that it would be an easy life. But here, Paul is telling us, paint that picture in your, in, your, in your mental model and understand that I have to press forward. I have to suffer forward for something that is worth fighting. Is your marriage worth fighting for? Are your children worth fighting for? Are the relationships worth fighting for? Is your walk with God worth fighting for? Are you in the word? Are you reading? Are we laboring in the word? Are we coming to Monday night prayer? Are we sacrificing anything? Because I want to suffer forward. Suffer forward. But instead, do we sit in a valley of indecision? Or do we fight forward? Do we fight forward? The third danger of self-doubt is that you take yourself from fact to fiction. You begin to second-guess yourself. When you look at second-guessing, it's just that. You're guessing. You're starting to wonder. You begin to guess and look at things. He's not the author of confusion. Let your words be yea and nay. Not the author of confusion. But how many times do we sit there and we begin to second-guess everything? And once you do that, now you come into a place where you create these scenarios. God help us. Help the prodigal's father when he was in the moment and created these moments that never even existed. But because of self-doubt and wondering where his child is, he began to create, maybe he thought this. Maybe he said this. Maybe they conspired against me. Maybe. And you create these situations in your mind that never happened. The reason I have seen people struggle to moving forward, was it lack of education or resources? There are plenty of people that sleep under a bridge tonight, today, because somewhere in life they begin to doubt themselves and they begin to question everything in their past because of a traumatic experience to now they no longer are moving forward, but they went from a factual place in life to now it's fiction. They've created these scenarios, the battlefields of the mind. And so the reason it's because they went from living in faith to hanging out in self-doubt. Look at Abraham, Genesis 14, chapter 7 through 12. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And Canaanite and the Presbyterite dwelled them in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For be we brethren, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left, then I will take the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from another. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. What would have happened if Abraham started to fester and wonder the demise of the relationship between him and his nephew on what happened? Lord, was he maybe not ready to separate from me? God, was, was, he not, was he not spiritually strong enough? Lot made a decision. He chose. Abraham didn't choose. He left a decision to Lot. And it could have been so easy for Abraham to begin to sit back and wonder if the decisions were the right decisions. God, maybe, you know, I was more, I was stronger than him. I, I didn't foresee. If I would have known 
that Sodom and Gomorrah would have fallen. If I would have known Lot would have fallen, I would have done this. And how often do we do that? And we play in that game if, if I would have known. Maybe they weren't ready. Maybe I should have went. And you spend so much time fighting the unknown, you begin to self-doubt where you are. And it becomes a, it becomes a decision that you make. Think about this. When, just remember when you first started driving. Maybe this happened last winter. You're in your vehicle, and it snows a lot. And then now you get stuck. What do we do? I'll speak for most men. You put the dude in drive, and you floor it. It starts going. And then as soon as you gain traction, you slam the dude back in reverse, and you try to go back, and, and you're just going to rock the vehicle until either the transmission falls out or you get out of that rut you're in, Right? There are times we put ourselves in a rut because we have lived in self-doubt. And because we have lost the time, you didn't get the miracle that you thought you should have received because you were spending too much time in self-doubt. Too much time in living in a storyland because you are creating scenarios because of chaos around you. Decisions that were made that you didn't ask for, that you didn't force on anybody. Those were the decisions could you imagine what it would be like for Abraham not to be able to listen to the voice of God? What if Abraham would have said, hey, you know what? I don't know if I'm doing the right thing anymore. Look what happened a lot. What do you mean Sarah is going to give me a child and I will be the father of many nations? Did you not notice that my wife is old? There was no little blue pill back then, folks. They're all old. There is a place where they weren't connecting they weren't together anymore in the vision that God had given them and we can see the result of what had happened there but I'm here to tell you something that because Abraham did not live in yesterday because Abraham wasn't in self-pity I want you to know he heard the voice of God and he became the father of nations because he refused to live in self-doubt but here's the father the prodigal boy with all of the mental anguish, he still decides to operate in faith. Watch Luke chapter 15, verse 23. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. No, he never said it was, hey, boy, let's go get a fatted calf. Hey, you know what? Pick the best one we have. You find the, the fattest one, the healthiest one. You, you guys figure that out and then, you know, let's bring it because I can see my son from afar. When he ordered it, he said, bring me the fat. In other words, he already appointed that calf. When his son left in the middle of chaos, he already declared in faith, one day my son's coming back. And when he comes back, I'm going to make sure I'm ready. When he's back on the porch, I want to make sure dinner's ready. I want my shoes shined. I want my ring out. I want, I want everything ready. And all too often, we ask God for these things, but yet we never position ourselves to be ready to receive what he has for us because we spent too much time in self-doubt because of chaos and because of decisions that others will make. We spend ourselves in a cycle over and over again. In the middle of chaos, you can still have faith. You can live in faith. Watch Romans 4. Chapter 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him 
whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and calleth those things before, done before they were. Do you understand there are some things you just need to declare in your life before you ever see them? You need to set the tone in your marriage. You need to set the tone in your finances. You need to set the tone in your child's relationships. You need to set the tone in your walk with God. Set the tone. Speak it out loud. It's so important that you speak those things into existence. You have to declare it. Listen, you can find a resolution before there's ever a solution. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm going to be ready for when he does it. And that has to be something that becomes in your spirit instead of clamming up and living in this fear and doubt because of something you couldn't control anyways. That wasn't there. You have to declare it. Listen, God spoke the word, the world into existence. If we are created in his image, then your words have creative power. You have the right to empower one kingdom or another. The words you speak will empower one kingdom or another. Job 22, verse 20 says, Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee. I think there's some folks in this room, there's some folks in our society that need to start establishing some things. You need to start orchestrating some things by speaking them out, by declaring them. If all you're doing is just repeating the cycle of news, if all you're doing is just repeating the demise, the frustration, the alienation, if you are always constantly doing that, then no wonder the enemy has his ear towards you and knows how to attack you. But you can begin to declare in faith that your son's coming home, that your wife's coming home, that your husband's coming home, that the children are going to be saved, that, that God is touching you in your relationship, in your walk with him. You can declare those things. But when you speak, you empower one kingdom or another. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. For the time being, the enemy of our soul has power over the atmosphere and this world. He is in control. He has the power. That's why it's so important. He's, he's no dummy. He not much of a future. He's not an idiot either. That's why when he fell from heaven, think about it, The Bible talks about that he had all these pipes inside of him, right? He was, he was their leader, their worship leader in heaven. And when he fell, he knew the power of your word. He knew the power that came with words. Is it not an accident that the vile music that we have today is everything against what Christianity stands for, what the Almighty God stands for? He knew if he could have us singing and engaging in music that would tear down society, you were already empowering his kingdom. I'm telling you, parents, we need to watch what our children are listening to. You need to pay attention to what goes on in your home. You need to know the music that you're listening to in your vehicle as you begin to sing them out loud. Are you empowering the enemy or are you empowering his kingdom what are you empowering with the words that you are speaking oh but it's just a song i just like the beat i'm just listening to it it means nothing to me you are empowering the kingdom with the words that you choose be careful with the words that you use be careful with what you listen to the music the podcasts what goes on in your home be careful what you listen to because your words you project they are cast into the atmosphere and they will empower a kingdom. Satan cannot read your mind, but he can read what you, when you speak your mind. He doesn't know your thoughts, but he knows what you're saying. He can hear you. 
I'll, we tell people all the time, I've, I've done this long enough, that I've had people come into the office and, you know, it's, it's a, a financial mess and you try to walk through some plans, spiritual application, principles in scripture about tithing and offering and allocating the appropriate funds. And, and uh, I've seen people that just, you know, you work very hard at trying to get out of debt and correct some things. And then they get to a place where they're burnt out. And then what happens? Man, I'm so tired. I need a vacation. I can't afford it. I'm going to put it on my credit card and God's going to pay it off. The Lord's going to pay off my credit card. I'm going on vacation. Matter of fact, we used to have Brother Curse uh, had traveled out here quite a few times, incredible man. And I remember him telling us a story that, uh, you know, he had prayed for $70,000. He needed $70,000 for, for something. And one day he went to his mailbox and $70,000 was there. Man, that's all I needed to hear. I said, Lord, I received that. <laughs> I received that. So guess what Mike Netto did for weeks? You can ask my wife. Every time, we had a long driveway at the house we lived in. And I remember walking, I'd, I'd tell Bridget, I'm like, honey, I'm going to the mailbox. I'm getting that 70K. I'd walk down there, and I'm telling you, I had faith. I'd open that stupid box, and there's no check in there for me at all. I did that time and time again. And God's teaching me, like, listen, I'm not going to keep bailing out your carcass every time you keep overspending. Spend wisely. But those are the things that you have to look at that you have to say, listen, uh, I can empower the kingdom. So if I keep telling the enemy that I'm always broken, I'm not willing to create any disciplines, guess what's going to happen? He's going to shine every new thing in front of me to where I overreach, I overspend. And I find myself back in a situation. He knows your thoughts because you speak them, not because he is in your mind. He does not have that power. In Luke chapter 7, we read about a centurion. He has, he's a military man and his servant is sick. And so here he asks Jesus, he said, Lord, you know, if, if you can just heal my servant, um, it'll be fine. Just, just come, just, just heal him. So here Jesus is en route to his house to heal his servant. And this is what verse 6 says, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. This centurion believed it took one word to change one man's destiny. One word from the king changed everything. Do you believe that God still has a word for you that can change the landscape of your life? Do you believe that there is a word of God that can change the situation that you're in, the chaos that you're living in, that he can change it with one word, empowering one word? You cannot control the actions around you, but you can control your behavior. You can control what you are saying. In just a few minutes, I'll come to a close. But I want us to read in Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. When he was yet great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran. Say ran. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, I've heard that story many times. And I always thought when he ran, he was excited, right? My boy's coming home. This is the moment that I've prayed for. This is the moment that we went and, and set aside the calf when I had my shoes signed. I, I was ready for this moment. But I dug into that story a little deeper, and I found out that in that culture, that the Middle Eastern man uh, wasn't allowed to expose his leg. And so what happened is he had such long garments that in order to run and not trip on your garments, you would have to pick up your garment and tuck them so you could run. Now, in that culture, if you took your inheritance and you left, if you lost your inheritance and squandered it, 
when you come back into their village, when you come home, there was a ceremony, a ceremony called the kazaza. That ceremony is when the village would come out and meet you. As soon as you walked in and they see you start to walk up that hill, they would meet you with a very large pot, a ceramic pot. They would find you there, and during the kazaza, they would take that pot and they would break it, and then they would say, you are cut off from your people. The community, the village would reject the one that came back that had lost everything. His dad knew what was coming. When his boy came around that corner and seen him, he knew that the village was coming out and that they were going to perform the Kazaza ceremony. They were going to embarrass his son. They were going to shame his son for what he had done. So what did the father do? The father took his garments, tucked him in, exposed himself, exposed his leg because he knew the village would take the eyes off the son and the village would put the eyes on him and he would take the shame of his son. I'm here to tell you something that when God, when Jesus came in flesh, I want you to know that when he died on the cross for you, he took the shame for you. All of the embarrassment, everything that you did that was wrong, all of the everything, he took it all for you. The shame that came with your sin, he took that away. And here the prodigal's father's teaching us something, saying, listen, I don't care that my son squandered his inheritance. I don't care that he hurt my feelings. Everything that I have imagined wasn't correct because I believed a long time ago that he was going to come home and I would have the fatted calf ready. And so I will take the shame of my son because I love him enough to spare him the embarrassment that would happen in that ceremony. And so I'm talking to somebody that's in this room. That maybe you've had some self-doubt. Maybe something has happened to you. Maybe there's some mistakes that you made. Maybe something happened that you couldn't control. And you have spent the last several years, few months, whatever that time period looks like, you have spent yourself denying God of, number one, a miracle in your life because you have lived in self-doubt. And then from there, you went on and you would be you began to just second guess everything in your life. And because of that moment that you stopped believing and moving forward, you began to build these ruts in your life and you just feel like you're spinning your wheels. You haven't been able to press forward. There's nothing to suffer forward to anymore. You are just stuck because you're so shocked at what's happened in your past. You're so shocked. I never would have dreamed that my life would end this way. I never dreamed that my children would walk away. I never dreamed that my marriage would start to fall apart. I never dreamed that I would be in financial crisis. I never dreamed that if I started tailoring back on some of my disciplines, that I would find myself so far away from God and the decisions that I've made because I placed myself in self-doubt and I stayed there for too long when God was calling me. Do you understand something? I want us to stand. Do you understand this? The, the very thing that imprisoned, matter of fact, it was the very thing that enslaved Joseph. Those dreams, those are the trigger points for enslaving Joseph. That ultimately led him into prison. But do you realize the very thing that enslaved him was the very thing that freed him? Sometimes you sit and wonder, God, how could you have given this to me? If I would have known this was, the, this was the price of your calling, I would have never accepted it because here I am in a place that I am enslaved. It's dark. I'm alone. I'm alienated. 
And God is saying, I have given you that for a reason because one day it's going to be that dream that's going to pull you out of the prison and put you in command to where one day your words will bring glory to my name. Your situation will bring glory to my name. One day. And so if you're in this room and you spent more time creating scenarios, fighting things, looking back at the chaos that you never asked, Jesus is saying, don't deny me of this miracle. Don't deny me of a miracle. Give it to me. Press forward. Live again. Take the next step. It was an incredible message that we heard from Pastor Hayes last week. Learn to press forward. Begin again. Take the next step. Don't live in your sorrows of yesterday when the dreams and the tragedies and the failures and frustrations of yesterday become greater than the promises of tomorrow, then it's time for us to take a real evaluation of where you are. But I'm here to tell you that there is an awesome Savior that took the shame and guilt for you so you could come with wide arms wide open back to him and he would accept you into the kingdom. He's looking for someone to take a step of faith. All it takes is one word, one shift in your direction, and you can come back to the Father without the shame and the embarrassment because he took that on for you at the cross. And so where would we be? Where would we be if Joseph sat in his prison wondering, how did I get here? Those were my brothers that sold me out. How did I get here? Those are the people closest to me, sold me out, lied on me, cheated me out of a future. Would it have been had Abraham sat and listened to the voice Lot and his whole family could have been spared but you gave him a choice you no know, business giving somebody choices who are you and you look at because somebody was willing to say get the fatted calf go get ready my son's coming home you know what Sarah we're going to have a baby God has given somebody in this room if you're online God has given you a dream, a vision. And you might even look at it and say, that's not for me, it can't be me. I don't have any children yet. I don't have a great career yet. I don't, and listen, God could easily, you could think, Lord, why don't you choose somebody else that at least has a start? But God isn't looking for someone that already has it together. He's looking for somebody that's willing to give him everything. So if you would just turn to him and say, Lord, what is it that you need of me? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna declare it right now. What would have happened if Jay Bourne would have come in those doors just a couple years ago and never declared his healing? Never declared the healing of cancer. I'm on a group chat with several of us that were sick over the last couple of weeks, and it was tough. But I'll never forget when Tina Wilson shared something and declared a healing over us and declared a miracle that would come out of this, this situation that we all found ourselves in. Somebody was willing to lift their voice and declare something and empower the right kingdom. There was somebody that was willing to say, I will not live in self-doubt. I will not stay parked in my yesterdays. I am looking for my tomorrow. And so if you are in this room, it takes just as much faith to take one step out of your seat as it would take for you to have a word of faith for you to declare unto him where you are. And if you're in this room, now is not the time. Listen, I, Pastor John said it earlier. 
If you think you're in a room full of perfect people, you better wake up because we are all imperfect people in the room. We are all saved by grace. We have all made our mistakes, but I am so thankful for a father that has loved me. I am thankful for a father that forgave me, that took the shame from me. So if you are searching for something, this is your moment to take a step of faith and say, I don't care what anybody else says. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to talk to God and I'm going to begin to declare my healing, declare my victory, declare my steps because your steps are ordered. He's already seen them. He's not embarrassed or shocked at where you are. But I'm asking somebody, please, if you need some prayer, if there's a direction that you're looking for, then you can come to the front and we'll pray with you. And if you're comfortable, come behind them and let's raise faith in this room. As they begin to sing, I want this to become an atmosphere where God begins to hear as he sits at the edge of the throne of heaven. He's saying, man, I can hear somebody down there. I can hear somebody start to declare some things in their life. I can hear there's a renewing spirit coming out of them. They're not held to their past. They're not being condemned to things that they couldn't control. But you can control how you behave. You can control on how you pray and the things that you orchestrate and the words that you infuse into the atmosphere. And so I want us all across this room as we sing, let's begin to declare a healing, declare a victory. Stand behind somebody and declare the miraculous that God is wanting to do. Don't deny him of a miracle right now. Now's not the time.
just sweet. 